Hi there, it's Mark from Third Shot Sports. Welcome to Pickleball Problems. Welcome to the show. Thanks for joining us. I'm your host, Mark Renison, and Pickleball Problems is the podcast where we talk all things pickleball. Equipment, etiquette, technique, tactics. Really, if it's got to do with pickleball, then it is on our radar. This is an episode of the show that I'm really looking forward to. It's the third part in a series focused on teaching and learning pickleball, on coaching. If you're someone who gives pickleball lessons or if you're on the receiving end, you're going to want to listen to this. We're doing something a little bit special on today's show. Up first, we address three key challenges for coaches. Challenge one, when to play in with the other students. That is, when should you act as a player during the lesson, doing the drills, doing the games, and when should you not? When should you step aside? Second, we talk about how to position yourself strategically when those drills and games are up and running. Where you stand matters, and smart coaches stand in particular places for particular reasons. We're going to talk about that. And finally, we discuss how to give really great feedback to your players. How do you talk to them? How do you intervene in a way that actually improves their performance? Doesn't just make them feel good or you're speaking for the sake of speaking. How do you give meaningful feedback that's really useful? And if that wasn't enough, we are then joined by a special guest. If you're familiar with my work over at Third Shot Sports, then there's a pretty good chance you've heard about my colleague. Her name is Friendly Kate. Friendly Kate is our COO, and while she's a 5.0 at running a pickleball business, she doesn't actually play pickleball. Well, that is until recently. Kate's been taking a series of beginner lessons, and she joins me on the phone to talk about her experience. If you coach pickleball, you are definitely going to want to hear what she has to say. It might make the difference between your players having a great time with you or, well, not. And we're going to talk about all that stuff in just a minute. Um, so last time I talked to you, it was when you had a baby, baby brother. He was brand new, or he might not have even been born yet. And you told me about some of the things that you were going to have to teach him. I'm wondering now, what kinds of things have you been teaching baby Owen to do? Um, he'd been, um, reading his books after, when I was at gymnastics, my daughter came over and she... She helped me with him. Your daughter? Yeah. You don't have a daughter? Yes, I do. Wait, you had a baby come out of you? Yeah. What's your baby's name? Um, Sophia. If you're as confused about teaching people to play pickleball as I am about my five-year-old's daughter, Sophia, consider becoming a member of Pickleball Coaching International. With videos, articles, case studies, and liability insurance, PCI is the world's best online resource for pickleball instructors or those who want to get started. Pickleball Coaching International. We make good coaches even better. Welcome back to the show. I'm your host, Mark Renison. Thanks for listening to Pickleball Problems today. On this episode of the show, we are talking about teaching and learning pickleball and some of the best practices instructors can follow, as well as some of the traps that people fall into. One of the major decisions that an instructor has to make is whether or not they should play in. And what I mean by that is, should they be hitting balls, doing the drills, playing the games with their players, or should they not? Playing in can have some real benefits, 
but it's also got some drawbacks. How do you decide? Let's start by talking about why you might choose to play in. The most obvious reason would be if you had an odd number of players. If you had a group of three people, for example, playing in would mean that all of a sudden you become the fourth player, and that would obviously make your lesson a whole lot easier and more fun. The same would be true if you had two courts going, and say seven people, you would become the eighth. Again, making things more even, more fun. And even if you had 11 players going, and three courts, it would probably still make sense for you to play in, to act as the 12th person. That way you've got three full games going across all of your courts. But by now you're probably starting to see a problem. While it's relatively easy to pay attention to your players and give them feedback when you play in during a lesson of just three people, it gets increasingly difficult as your numbers grow. There's only so much attention that you can give, and that attention gets further divided amongst your players the more players that you have. So the more people you have in your lesson, the less attention each one gets. And your ability to give attention to the group as a whole, that gets diminished even further if you choose to play in, because now you've got to pay attention also to hitting the ball and doing the drills and playing the games. So playing in always requires a trade-off. You're trading away some of the attention that you can give to the players, and instead giving that attention to playing the game. How much that trade costs depends on a few things. As I said earlier, the more people you have in your lesson, the more people you're in charge of watching, well, the more expensive that trade-off is. Because it's hard to see what's going on on court number one if you're playing a game on court number three. But there's another factor that's worth considering. How good of a player are you? If you're an expert player, it probably takes very little focus for you to play with intermediate players and still be watching the group as a whole. Let's say you're at a skill level where you playing in, you doing a drill, hitting third shot drops, for example, from the baseline. Let's say that takes you 10% of your focus. Well, that's still a lot of attention you can give elsewhere, right? You've still got 90% of your attention that you can distribute amongst the rest of the class, even though the 10% is being used to do the drill. Whenever I watch expert coaches who are also 5.0 players, you regularly see their head going back and forth from court to court to court, even though they're playing in a game, even though they're doing a drill. And they're doing that because they still want to pay attention to their students. They're not there mainly as players. They're playing in because that serves a purpose. And because they're skillful enough to be able to hit balls while looking elsewhere, they can get away with that. So this is one of the reasons why it's really important as instructors that we still work on our own games. Because the better the player you are, the more flexible you can be. The more that you can play in, you can do the drills, you can do the games, and yet still give attention to other people. If you're a less skilled player, you're a 3.5 player, for example, then when you're playing with other 3.5s, you're probably not able to give much attention to the rest of the players on the other courts. Again, it's a trade-off. Besides evening out the numbers, why else might you play in? One of the most common reasons is if you've got one player who's either really strong compared to the rest of the group or really weak. By playing in and partnering most of the time with that person, the stronger player, assuming you're as good or better than they are, then they're likely to leave that lesson feeling like, hey, they got some challenge. And if you partner with the weaker player, the one who's like considerably weaker than the rest of the group, well, you're shielding the rest of the students from having to suffer playing with someone who can't hit the ball back in the court. 
sometimes in the coaching world refer to this as jumping on the grenade. You as the coach should jump on that grenade, play with the weaker player so that other people don't have to suffer. I've been in situations where we've even had even numbers. Even numbers, that's perfect. We've got eight or 10 or 12. But within those even numbers, there's one really weak player. In that situation, I would jump on that grenade, even though that makes the, um, the numbers odd. Right now we have 11 or 13 or nine. I would then take some of those stronger players who've now sort of become an odd number and I would take them aside and I'd be straight with them and I'd say, hey, I know it's not ideal being in a group of three or in a group of five. This is not an ideal situation. But we've got one player over here who really is sort of holding the group back skill-wise. And so I figured it'd be better for you, strong players, it'd be better for you to be partnered together as an odd number rather than having to play in with that particular person. And in my experience, these stronger players, they appreciate the candor. They appreciate you being straight up with them about why you're doing what you're doing, even though odd numbers aren't ideal. And they also kind of like that they're standing out as strong players and you recognize that. So those are the main reasons I'd suggest playing in. If you've got odd numbers that you want to even up, or if you've got a real outlier in terms of skill level, then jump in as the player, even though you're the coach. Again, you've got to consider the trade-off you're making, as well as your ability to observe other courts and give feedback to people besides the ones that you're playing with at the time. And that has to do with your skill level. On a final note, whenever possible, if you're playing in, if you're choosing to play in, then try to rotate players frequently. Assuming you're not playing with a really strong player or you're jumping on the grenade, if you're playing in, try to rotate them frequently because everyone likes to play with the coach. Don't let one person feel like they got the majority of your time. Okay, we're going to talk about some of the other challenges for coaches in just a minute. In the beginning, we gave you unlimited power and asked just one thing in return. Just one thing. Just keep it in. What were we thinking? Mistakes were made. Lives were lost. But this time, just relax. We've got you covered. Selkirk. Power. Control. No compromise. Welcome back to the show. Before the break, we talked about when to play in, doing drills and games with your students versus when to stay out. I want to switch topics now and address another key issue related to teaching pickleball, and that is where to stand when the drills are going on. Obviously, right now, I'm assuming you're not playing in. You're in charge of running the activities and you got to give feedback to your players. So where's the best place to be? Where should you stand? I'll tell you where I see most instructors stand. Right at the net post. Almost like they're a magnet and they are glued to that net post. Right in the center of the court. And I get the rationale. By being near the net, you're equally close to one team as you are to another. But actually, I don't think this is a great spot to be. Why? Well, because generally you can't see all four players at once when you're standing at the net post. You got to keep looking to your left to see the team on the left and to the right and the team on the right. And like, it's not terrible, you know, especially if all four players are up at the kitchen line. Okay. It's, you don't have to look too far left and right, but it's really hard to see all four players at once from that position. Think about how much better it would be if you could see all four players at once in one single frame without having to turn your head back and forth. You could better see each team's movement in relation to the ball and the other team. You're less likely to miss something because you have your head turned. 
seeing all four players at once is preferable to seeing just two. So where should you stand that you can see all four players at once? Well, you're outside the sidelines, obviously, because you're not interfering with the game. If you were back at the kitchen line or just past the non-volley zone closer to three-quarter court, you're able to look towards the net and see all four players at once, especially if they're up sort of three-quarter court or closer to the net. This is a really good place to be able to see everybody at once. In fact, I'd recommend walking around the court so that you're spending time sort of with everybody, not just standing in one position, but walking and talking, circulating throughout the court or the courts that you're using, but spending very little time near the net post, more of your time around the kitchen line or even three-quarter court. By doing this, by circulating and walking and talking, all of your players are going to feel you. They're going to feel your presence equally, not just the one who happens to be closest to you at the time. If you're supervising multiple courts, use the same process. You walk around the perimeter of the court, still watching the other ones, so every person feels that your presence is there on that court. You can sort of weave your way back and forth around those courts. Let's say you've got three courts you're working with. But I really don't think it's very helpful to stick to that net post. Now, I was talking about how I'm assuming that you're playing, you're not playing in, you're out, the coach is out. But let's say you do play in because you've got odd numbers or whatever. If you're running a lesson on three courts, 12 people, which is not uncommon, I suggest playing in on the middle court, court number two, because if you're on that middle court, you can still see court number one and court number three pretty well. It's really hard to see what's happening on court number three if you're on court number one. Okay, we're gonna take a quick break and talk about a third challenge for coaches. This episode is supported by 20 drills and 10 games to play better pickleball. If you're tired of playing at the same level and are serious about improving your skills, this ebook is right up your alley. Full of fun and focused activities you can do with a partner or ball machine, 20 drills and 10 games to play better pickleball is easy to use and best of all, fun to use. Get it today at thirdshotsports.com and use the promo code PROBLEMS to save 33%. All right, welcome back to the show. So far, we've talked about two challenges for coaches. One is to make the decision whether to play in or stay out. A second was where to stand, where to position yourself so you can give great feedback. And the third is actually what I want to talk about now is about the kind of feedback that you give. What is it that you say? How is it that you say it? This can be an issue for coaches. So one of the mistakes that I often see coaches make is that as soon as they see an, ear, an error, they're inclined to jump right in, talk to the player right Fuck, let's do that again. One of the mistakes I see coaches make is that when they see an error, they're inclined to jump right in and talk to the player about it. They don't wait. As soon as they see the mistake, they jump on it. And I think the intention is usually good. I think they're trying to make the player better, but I think that the outcome often isn't so good. Many players have anxiety about taking pickleball lessons. They feel like they're walking into a fault-finding session. They feel like they're going to a place where they're constantly going to be told about all the things they're doing wrong. Imagine if you were in a relationship with someone who constantly told you about all the mistakes you were making. And even when you did make an improvement, they found something else to criticize you for. To me, good feedback follows the three F's. It's fast, frequent, and focused. Fast. Especially in a group setting, it's important that your feedback to one player doesn't take up a ton of time from the others. I've seen too many times where a coach interrupts a game and then takes five minutes to have a private conversation with just one of the players. The other three just stand around looking annoyed. 
it's far better to make a comment that takes under 10 seconds. Something like, hey, that drop will be easier if you hit cross-court. Or, I like the way that you set up early. Or, after you serve, make sure you recover behind the baseline. If you need more time than that, save it for a water break or some other convenient moment where helping one person won't waste the time of the others. Besides being fast, good feedback is also frequent. When I walk on the court, there is a lesson going on. I should be able to tell immediately who the coach is. Not because they've got the fancy name tag or the nice shirt, but because they are giving regular feedback to the players. I should be able to hear them almost constantly, praising and encouraging their players, as well as helping them to improve. Generally speaking, as far as I'm concerned, if in a group lesson you have gone more than, say, 30 seconds without saying something, you should probably up your frequency. So good feedback is fast, good feedback is frequent, and good feedback is focused. This is perhaps the hardest of the three Fs to master, the focused feedback. The easiest part of coaching is finding faults, but that's not the main job. Your job is to make players better. And doing so requires specific feedback that's focused. If I'm working with my players on hitting a return of serve, let's say, away from the middle of the court, and all of a sudden I'm talking to them about volley technique, my feedback is unfocused. If we're working on making contact with the ball out in front between our body and the net, but I start talking about the follow-through, that is unfocused feedback. If you want your players to develop, you got to work on one skill at a time. Resist the temptation to talk about everything you see, and instead hone in on the specific topic at issue. Once you move on from that one, then it's okay to remind them to maintain that, maintain what they've already improved. But don't hop around to something new just because you see it. Changing the goalposts like that is a surefire way to frustrate your student and to make them feel like they'll never really have success. If you do see something that's worth addressing in the future, make a mental note of it or write it down, come back to it later. But try to keep your students and yourself focused on one skill at a time. All right, that does it for the first part of this show. Coming up next, we are joined by Friendly Kate, the COO of Third Shot Sports, who is going to give us her perspective on what it is like taking beginner pickleball lessons. Earlier this year, she was taking some pickleball lessons, and she's coming back to talk to us about what she loved about it and what she didn't love quite so much. If you teach pickleball, you're going to want to listen. See you soon. Hey, it's Mark here. Just a quick reminder that I'm often on the road coaching pickleball, doing clinics at people's clubs. You can see the schedule over at thirdshotsports.com. If you'd like to have me come to your club, send friendly Kate an email. She's kate at thirdshotsports.com. It costs your club nothing, and we take care of all of the logistics, too. Okay, back to the show. Remember, we're recording this for the podcast. Hello? Friendly Kate. Hi, Mark. Okay, hold on a second. Sorry. Now I'm recording for the podcast. Lord, you start talking in the middle of this. Okay. Oh, okay. okay, well, let me say goodnight to my kids, and then I'll go so we're quiet, okay? Okay. Okay. Hi. You're back. I'm back. Uh, how's your day going? Uh, pretty good. I'm all stinky from playing pickleball. Oh, <laughs> good. Um, okay, well, should we talk about it? Let's talk about pickleball. Okay. Um, 
so you decided, let's go back to the beginning for this. You decided that it would be a good idea if you learned how to play pickleball. Is this true? Yes, you're going to have to give me a second. I just climbed three flights of stairs. Trying to get away from my noisy kid, so I had to run upstairs, and now I'm all... Discombobulated? Little discombobulated. Yeah, I thought it'd be a good idea to learn how to play pickleball, since I spend all day, every day, talking about pickleball. Right, you just couldn't get enough. (laughs) Sure. Um, Okay, so... From what you told me before, you did what sort of many people will do is you um, found a local gym or organization. We we don't want to be too specific about it, right? Because we're um, providing some different kinds of uh, feedback about it. But is that right to say that you found sort of a fairly accessible place where pickleball lessons were offered? Yes. Okay. Right across um, the street from my house. <laughs> okay. How can- <laughs> convenient doesn't give it away at all um so can i ask how many how many like tell us about uh like the setup the sessions like how many how many sessions there are how long they last how much it costs because i think lots of our listeners um will be wondering i should have like pulled up some actual information before we started this phone call uh from the top of my head i think we're doing about eight classes mm-hmm. roughly and I honestly did not pay attention to how much it cost. It may have been like, it could have been fifty dollars. It could have been a hundred dollars, maybe eighty. I can look it up later. I'm okay. So, on the okay, top of so, my head. Either way, I was like, that's a very reasonable price. Sure. Right. Right. Okay. So no one was charging you a thousand dollars for eight pickleball sessions. This was like community-based, fairly inexpensive intro to pickleball. Yeah. Okay, and. Um, what else do you want to tell us about it? Like, how many people in your class? Um, we're in a gymnasium. So we've mm-hmm. got, we're playing on um, four, there's four badminton courts. And they've got sort of one net strung up that goes the length. And there's um, usually about three courts are full, about 12 in the class. Mm-hmm. Uh, plus another four that are consistently just playing a game at the end of the space on that fourth court. Oh, so there's three courts of lesson people and one court of just randoms. Yeah, well, they're they like clearly know how to play and have played before, um, and I just don't know. Like, maybe they're there because it's like a more convenient time than the drop-in. Um, my instructor, I guess, has just like allowed them to play their own four-person game, sort of at the end of the, our space while we're doing our lesson. Mm-hmm. I thought they were like totally separate until today. Um, three of them joined in in the lesson oh. and the rest of us were sort of confused like oh aren't you like are you in this and they're like oh, yeah we're in this class and we're like oh, oh okay so I don't know huh. maybe they've maybe they've done this in the past before and they sort of the first few sessions they know the more basic stuff and they just use the time to practice but they were taking part in the lessons today with everybody for the first time hmm. and what's that been like to have like has that been a distraction up until this point before they joined the class? Has it been a distraction to have sort of four people playing their game during the lesson or they just sort of blend into the background and you don't really notice them? Uh, they don't physically get in the way, but the sound of pickleball when our instructor is trying to talk is really distracting. Right. Yeah, so I'm sympathetic to the fact that they want to play and they want some quarter time, but 
when the instructor's trying to bring in like a group of 12 people across three courts and there's a game going on, like you really have got to throw your voice to get everybody to hear you. So sometimes that's sort of a struggle. Hmm. Hey, can I ask you, I mean, so this episode of the show is about, is talking about sort of coaching and tips and tricks and best, best practices. Um, can you tell whether your instructor is deliberate in how they sort of position the players when they're talking to you? Like, I don't want to lead you on too much with this question. So for example, one of the things that I find that's very useful is when I'm talking to the group um, is to make the background behind me as plain as possible. So, um, you know, I try to stand with my back at the wall because in that way, the the students really just sort of focus on me. Whereas if I, you know, if behind me when I'm trying to talk to my students, but behind me there's people playing or there's people, I don't know, walking in the door or there's some kid playing basketball, those things end up being a distraction. Have you noticed any what seem like deliberate um, techniques or moves that the instructors made to make it so that whether it's those four people playing or other people have been distractions are less of a distraction? Uh, have I noticed? No. But now that you say that, yes. Oh, yeah? So I never, I, I wouldn't, it's not something I'd pick up on on my own. Uh, but now that you say that, my instructor, I don't think hardly ever brings the group in with their back to the group of four playing. It's typically like to a wall or bleachers or ah. sort of there's, no, there's no action ever behind. And I uh, wonder if that's deliberate or if that's just sort of how our space worked out. Mm-hmm. I mean, so that's, that's one of the things I find about good instructors is that um, they, they make it look like it's hard to tell that they're doing something deliberately. And of course, if you ask them, you know, they might say, oh yeah, like obviously I don't want people playing behind me because that would be a distraction. Um, and so you see it kind of, you know, it's like one of those paintings, right? Where you don't see the thing in the background until someone points it out and then that's the only thing you notice. Yeah. Um, but maybe next time you go back to your lesson, you'll you'll see, or you can even ask your instructor whether um, that's like a deliberate move or not. Hmm. Yeah. Um, okay, so tell us, uh, so you've given us a bit of the, the, the scene, right? You're in an indoor facility, three courts plus one. Um, I'm guessing it's like kind of a busy, a busy place. Uh, tell us about um, like what, from what you remember, like opening day, first lesson. What was that, that initial contact like? Uh, the first day we came in sort of like a half circle and we went around the instructors uh, took attendance. I believe they take attendance every lesson. Um, and asked if we had any sort of previous, you know, racket sport experience and things like that. Uh, other than that, I, one sort of, <laughs> it's funny. So I, I'll admit I have a, I have a unique perspective coming to the point where I'm starting to play pickleball now. Having worked in the sport for over two years and now only just picking up a paddle, I've been listening to coaching in my ear and strategy for years. Uh, in <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry to... about that. <laughs> it's okay. Uh, in addition to launching PCI and uh, hearing you talk so much about good coaching practice. Um, so definitely on the first day, there was a couple things that I was like, oh, I, I've sort of been told the opposite or um, I'm not sure that I totally agree with this or 
Um, things like statistics sometimes get thrown around. Um, I don't know if you want examples, but well, we can give one. Like... We can give one, and like the delicate. I mean, I hope our listeners sort of appreciate the the delicate walk we're trying to walk here is to be able to like problematize something, right? Talk about things in in kind of a critical way without being um, like without putting them down. Right. And we're all sort of all the instructors I know are kind of in this constant process where they're trying to get better. So I'm hoping that our listeners will listen to this, not in the spirit of us, like trying to bash anyone, but um, identifying really smart things we can do. Like we just heard about the instructor standing with the, the wall at the back, um, but also hearing about some of the traps that people fall into. So can you give like one or two examples of things that um, that initially kind of caught your attention? Yeah, definitely. Things like, um, I don't know, I, I've, I've seen the video you put up about paddle up. So when our instructor's like, get your paddle like really far, way up in front of your face. I'm like, that's, first of all, that doesn't feel comfortable to me. And I, I've never seen anyone uh, who's a reasonably good pickleball player play like that when we've gone to, well, granted, the pickleball I usually watch is the best pickleball there is because we go to the open and we go to nationals and stuff like that. So I'm not spending a lot of time watching amateur pickleball. Uh, but I just found like that position really awkward. And I was sort of like instantly in my head, I was like, I don't really like that and I'm not going to do it. <laughs> so Right. So for, for listeners who might not be sure um, what you're talking about, I'll, I'll link to the video in the show notes, but uh, one of the things we looked at, we made this video called, I think it's called the myth of paddle up and, what we did is we had took a whole bunch of um, videos from live action of the pros playing. And what we found were a lot of times where their paddle was not sort of up at chest or face high, the way sometimes we're told it should be. Their paddle was actually very often more down around waist or hip height. And, um, and we saw, had sort of example of example uh, of this. And the reason typically was that as that paddle gets higher and higher and higher up towards your chest or your face even, um, one, it can be a little uncomfortable, like you say, and two, that center of gravity gets a little bit higher, which makes it a little bit more difficult to move quickly from side to side. So, um, anyway, so listeners, that's what Kate's talking about. But, uh, and so was that something that was emphasized like right away at the start of the clinic? Yeah. Well, the first, one of the first things the instructor said was we're going to, um, I'm going to spend a lot more time talking today than I typically would. And I was thinking like, oh no, <laughs> like, mm. I just want to like, I, so this is a funny little Mark tidbit. So I instantly think of years ago when you were living out West and you were working as a teacher, I remember you telling me a story about taking your class to, I believe it was lawn bowling. <laughs> yes. And I remember you telling this story about taking your class to this lawn bowling place uh, and you'd ask them to give your class a demo and explain, like get these kids, like show them how to play and at the end of all of this talking, they finally let the kids put their hands on the balls and play. And then they had told you at the end, I believe, if I'm remembering correctly, we don't usually even let them touch the balls the first class. And <laughs> you being like, what? Like, how is somebody going to fall in love with this sport if they can't play it? Like, let them play. That's why it's fun. Right. Um, right. So, yeah, you, you actually, well, it's funny yeah. you have a recollection of that. Yeah, the idea, I mean, I had a bunch of, of kids between like, 10 and 15 years old and I mean it was tough enough to tell them that we were going to go try out lawn bowling but then to have to sort of stand around watching people explain 
the perfect way to hold the ball. It's not a ball, it's a bowl. And the perfect way to send it. And it's like, all the kids are like, I know how to roll a ball down the grass. <laughs> Just let me, yeah, try. let me try that. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, so that, wait, that so was, that was my big takeaway was just, just let me try. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. So I, I think, I, I know maybe like the classes sort of half divided. So I think half the people have sort of played or play recreationally and have some knowledge. And then the others are like me, sort of like they've never played. Like they have no real idea what's going on. Well, mm-hmm. I sort of understand more than I can do, I think. So mm-hmm. I can get why, you know, we're building we're building on strokes and we're building on techniques and constantly I'm finding myself feeling really frustrated. Just saying like, can I just play? Like I just want to play. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I don't, I don't find it. I know, I know that standing around and doing drills is really valuable, but I've, I've still like, I've been taking lessons for five weeks, six weeks. I've never played a game. Right. Right. And that, and that's, that's tough. Um, you know, one of the, we talk about this in the pickleball coaching international stuff is one of the, the models that I think works quite well is what we call play practice play. And it's sort of like a little sandwich, right? Where you get people out playing, um, give them a chance to sort of experiment if they're brand new players or just to play if they're more experienced players, bring them in and then say, Hey, while you're out there playing, or if they're brand new players, while you're out there trying to hit the ball back and forth over the net, Here's something I noticed. Kate, you had trouble consistently sending the ball the right distance. Or Mark, you had trouble sending the ball the right direction. It was sort of scattered all over. Did you notice that too? And of course, you and I would say, yes, coach, I did have trouble controlling where I was sending it. And then coach would say, hey, well, would you like to work on that and get better? And you, of course, would say, yes. And then you have the the second part of this play practice play sandwich, right? You have the practice where you can now work on whatever that thing is, right? You learn how to do it, you learn, then you do your drill. Um, And then it's followed by playing again. And so this model works really well because if you start off with playing, one, you give the people a chance to actually sort of try or experiment or play. Um, And then whatever it is you're about to teach them, they're now way more motivated to do it because they've just observed kind of the deficiency, right? They've observed where they're getting into trouble. And so now they're really keen to work on it rather than the the other method, which you often, it sounds like you experienced a bit, which was, no, 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 you can't play a real game till you've perfected all these things first. Yeah, exactly. Hmm. Okay. Um, and do you have any sense, I mean, like you said, you have this unique position, right, having worked in pickleball. Do you have any sense about the feelings of any of the other players? Like sometimes you know, participants on water breaks or before or after class, we'll talk about, um, we'll talk with each other about how it's going. Are you, are you alone in this feeling that, hey, I just want to go play a game or is this something other people are talking about? Uh, well, at actually the end of class today, I approached the majority of my classmates as they were leaving and we've actually all made arrangements to go play at the drop-in at a restaurant oh. nearby. Yes, I think we might play in a couple nights and then again next week before. We might go play twice. We just sort of put an open invitation out saying, like, if anybody else wants to come and play a game, we're going to go try to play with some local players. <laughs> uh, well, that's great. I, I like that you yeah. guys are taking the initiative. Um, okay, so what else? What else do you think our listeners would be interested to hear? Um, 
you know, about what this experience is like or what things that you're, re I mean, what about some things that you really are enjoying that the instructor is doing? Um, today I got to play against the instructor, which mm -hmm. was really fun. Mm -hmm. So the, the highlight of the lesson today was in the last sort of 15 minutes, the instructor was sort of pairing people off to do these drills. And then the instructor said, who wants to play two on one against me? And I was instantly like, my hand was up and I was like, let's do this. <laughs> uh, and sort of no, everybody else was very scared. Um, and finally another woman came and played with us. Um, and we got like, we just got destroyed, but it was really fun. And it's like the, no question, the most fun I've had this whole time. Hmm. Um, I didn't have to, like the instructor sort of gave us permission, like do this drill, do a few dinks and then like get aggressive if you want to. And like go for a shot. I was like, Oh, finally, like, <laughs> yeah, I don't want to, I don't, I don't find it that fun just to like slowly, gently dink it over the net a hundred times. Like, I want right. a point. I want to like slam it at your feet and I want to win. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's tricky, isn't it? When you're at the start and you're like, I realize that if I hit this ball fast, I am going to win the point, right? Or I'm at least going to make it tough for my opponent. Why the heck am I hitting a slow ball right to them? We, like, I want to drive it in the dirt. And the instructor's like, no, no, just be gentle. I was like, why? This isn't fun. <laughs> right. Right. So a good example Um I mean, yours is a really nice sort of like personal example of it. And then on the, the coaching technical side, we talk, we sometimes call that um, sort of not connecting tactics and technique, right? The, what you're being told to do, um, let's say hit these slow, soft balls back and forth to each other, dinking. Um, that's, we'll call that the technique, but it sounds like the tactic isn't really connected. Like, well, why are we doing this? I understand it's a shot in pickleball but there's lots of shots in pickleball. Why should I use this one when I see these other things might work as well or probably better? And so sometimes that's a trap that coaches fall into is that they don't always make it clear to their players why, why what they're doing is valuable or how it's valuable, how it's going to help them to play the game better. It's more of the case of like, no, no, you just do it this way because. So I can say with confidence, like that I think is... Um the I don't want to say shortcoming because I really I really like my instructor but that is absolutely one thing I'm constantly finding myself thinking like why am I doing this mm -hmm. the point when would I use this like mm -hmm. so yeah I definitely think um like PCI I think there's a section right like selling the topic right yeah it's it's the I audio go listen to those now <laughs> yeah that's right yeah it's the audio section right selling the topic in 15 seconds and I mean it it connects a little bit to what we said a second ago is if you let the players play first and then you say, Hey, here's something I noticed. I noticed X, Y, and Z when you were playing. And now, you know, do you think it'd be great to go work on those things? Right. They now buy into it a little bit more. And so if people understand, um, how, what they're doing can help them to play the game better and whether, you know, the answer is like, Hey, did you know, if you play a slow, low ball known as a dink, it's really hard for your opponents to hit hard at you and still keep the ball in play. Then you might say like, Oh, okay. Yeah. I want to make it hard for them to slam it at me and keep it in the court. Good idea. Right. Yeah. Um, but often that step of connecting what we should do, right. Technique with why we should do it. Tactics that connection isn't always made clear. And then the students sometimes like they do it because they're being good students and they're following the instruction from the coach, but 
you know, this is the time where as soon as the coach turns their back, then the player is like, forget it. <laughs> they just slam it, right? Because, yeah, that, that's, a, that's a common trap for coaches. Yeah. So there's just like a couple, um, there was, there's been a bunch of just like little, there's like a tiny mark reticent on my shoulder. Sometimes <laughs> in lesson. So I, I apologize for that too. <laughs> I think you might owe my instructor an apology. Yeah. Uh, I, I catch myself and I just bite my tongue now because it's not worth it. Um, when we were, it was like our fourth class or something and we spent an entire two hour class on third shot drops and all I could think in my head was like, this is an advanced technique. Like, I don't know how to serve. I don't know how to return. Like, I don't know how to do anything to even pretend to jump into a drop-in game after all of these classes. And here I am, like, trying to learn this shot. Um, but I, I, when the instructor was setting this up, explaining, like, when you do it and the purpose of the shot and all of this, um, I sort of spoke up and said, like, so do you always have to play a third shot? And the response was, yes, absolutely. And I just was like, okay. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. It's funny things like that and like little um, statistics that get thrown around. Uh, things like, oh, well, the pickleball is 70% at the kitchen and 30% at the, at the rest. And I'm like, mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know where this number comes from. Right. Especially when you're new you're not spending a lot of time dinking. You're not very good. Like most of my game is at the back setting it up again because I can't barely keep the ball going, you know? Right. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see when you go out with their, with the other people in the class and you start to play, you know, your own game. It'll be interesting, interesting to see, um, like how much the way that you play when you're playing a real game mirrors the kinds of things that you've been doing in the lesson versus how much, you know, you as a group just sort of improvise or do something different or like, that'll be, that'll be interesting to watch and see what happens there. Yeah. I might just get smoked. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Who knows? Who knows? Um, <laughs> and so I'm, uh, I don't want to take too much more of your time, but so I have a couple more questions. So is yeah. there, can you talk to us about um, like the communication style of the instructor. So is there a certain way that they get people's attention? Is there a certain way that they, you know, whether it's at the start of the class or after the class, like what is it that if, if I was standing, you know, a bird's eye view looking down at this lesson going on, um, what would the interaction between the instructor and the players look like? To bring us all in to talk or at the beginning or just sort of any time? Well, that's what I'm wondering. Is it is it both? Like, do they do they bring the whole group in, discuss something, then send everyone back out? Yeah, it's, it's pretty consistent. So um, the paddle goes up. The instructor says, uh, paddle's in. And uh, it usually takes a second for everybody to sort of hear over the balls what's going on. And then we all sort of migrate to the center uh, of the gym and sort of form a circle around the instructor while they talk about the next drill we're going to do or do a demo or or whatnot. But now that you say, I believe their back is typically always like to the wall. Mm-hmm. Did you say, sorry, I, I, did you say that they put their paddle up in the air to get, yeah. and did they say something too? Paddles in. Oh, at the same time. Okay. But you said it takes a second for people to hear? Sometimes because sometimes like you're in the middle of some kind of rally or you're playing some points. When you hear that, you sort of finish and 
mm. mosey on over. Mm-hmm. So one thing that instructors might want to consider um, who are listening uh, is that that's a little bit risky. Um, if there's any delay between when the instructor sort of calls for people to stop and when they actually stop, you're actually running into um, a safety issue. Let's imagine you and I are playing against each other. And um, you know what, you send the ball over to me and uh, it's a return of serve and it's high and it's slow. And you know, as I'm getting ready to hit, you come running up to the net and it's that high juicy ball. And uh, as that ball's flying through the air coming towards me, instructor puts up their paddle and says, oh, paddle's in. Now you hear that and you see that, right? You hear the voice and you sort of look to where that voice is coming from. But I don't hear that or see that right away because, I, you know, I'm focused on this ball that's coming that I'm getting ready to hit. And so then the risk is that you've now stopped playing the point, right? You've paid your attention to the instructor, but I haven't. And I hit that one more ball, right? And now you've got a ball flying towards your face that you have no way to protect yourself against because you're now paying attention. So I find that the um, there's a little bit of a risk there. If there's ever sort of like a delay, uh, it's more effective either if the instructor has like a really loud voice and can yell loud enough that everyone hears right away when it happens. Or, um, you know, I know some instructors, including myself, will whistle to get attention right away. Um, but that's a, my advice to you when you go out for these last few ones is uh, that um, just a heads up that when that call happens, that make sure that you're still paying attention in case your opponent doesn't hear the call or just decides to hit one more ball anyway. Because I've definitely seen people get hit uh, because their partner, you know, decides to hit one more. Hmm. Yeah. All right. It happens. Um, okay, so you, this was lesson number five, did you say? I think. Five of eight. Um, well, maybe we'll check back in with you. Uh, after the eighth one has concluded, we'll see how, how the rest of it's gone. What's that? I only have another week. Why don't we be six? Oh, maybe only six. I think, okay. I, I think I wrap up after next week. Okay. Well, we'll, we'll we can check in and hear how the last one went. Um, I also want to hear about how your uh, drop-in play went and how much it mimicked. Um, has your instructor sent, uh, I know some instructors send follow-up emails to the group um, either at the end of, you know, the whole six weeks or even from session to session to session. Have they done that? Yeah, every week. Oh, that's great. And what's in those follow-up emails? I don't really read them. <laughs> oh. <laughs> okay. I'm outing myself a little bit. No, it's... I, I mean, you're a busy, uh, you're a busy woman. Of, yeah, somebody has to keep their job points afloat. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> um, no, I think it's like, remember, these are the key points and takeaways and... Um, I might not read them right now because I, yeah, I have a million things going on, but uh, I definitely appreciate they're there and I can reference back to them if I'm sort of feeling like I'm forgetting something or mm -hmm. I'm struggling with something, right? Mm -hmm. And do you know, like, do they, is it just text or do they ever include like pictures or videos or anything? Just, just HTML, just uh, text. Right. Right. <laughs> well, definitely better than nothing. I know lots of instructors, um, listening would probably say, oh, yeah, that's maybe a good idea is to follow up. And in education circles, they call that consolidating the learning. Mm. But yes, I know. <laughs> so soon you'll be consolidated. 
I can't wait. <laughs> uh, okay. Well, I will let you get back to your uh, busy life of children and family and um, keeping third shot sports afloat. And, uh, and we'll check back in with you um, after your next lesson and your drop and play. Oh, boy. I'll try not to take anyone's eye out. Okay. Has, has your new paddle arrived yet? Yeah. It has? Yeah. I played oh. with it today. Oh, good. How was it? It was nice. It works. I'm trying to get used to it, you know? Yeah. Well, <laughs> great. Uh, do you want to tell yeah. us, which, which, did you get the Epic? I, did, I got the Regal Black, the limited edition. Oh, yeah? Epic, nice. lightweight. Nice. That's yeah. amazing. That's amazing. I, know. <laughs> I made, got my label maker fired up with my name and phone number on it. <laughs> got to fit in, you know? Uh, that's great. Um, okay. Well, thanks for the chat, Kate. And, nice uh, talking with I'll, you. I'll probably I'll talk to you at work tomorrow. <laughs> Yeah, I'll see you uh, in the morning. <laughs> I'll see you on the internet. Okay. <laughs> Bye. Bye. And we'll leave it there. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Pickleball Problems. Thanks to Friendly Kate for telling us all about her experience taking beginner pickleball lessons. And thanks to all the people who have been coming out to our clinics. I'm on tour all summer long and into the fall. Check us out at thirdshotsports.com. You can see where I'm going to be next. Until next time. Keep on pickleballing.